Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? Are you all okay? I'm okay, I think. Yes, absolutely fine. Uh, nothing to see here, nothing nothing to worry about. Uh, so I told you about the tattoo last week. So this week was the let's get my hair cut very short uh, extra element of my midlife crisis, which just goes on and on. It, it never fails to uh, to reappear, which is wonderful. So I've just folded my arms. I don't know why I'm folding my arms as I'm telling you this. But yeah, I, I well, you see, I had decided I was going to get my hair cut and then I'd heard about this charity um, where you can get your hair that's cut off sent to help make wigs for poorly children. So I thought that was a good idea. But then it transpired that they need at least seven inches, which doesn't sound so much, but actually it's quite a bit. Um, so I kept, you know, getting my hair and stretching it, holding up against a, a ruler and thinking, well, if they cut that much off, then what's going to be left and all of this. So in the end... I turned up at the hairdressers and I admit I left the selection of an appropriate measuring device a little bit late in the process. But I was the one who turned up uh, at the hairdressers with a children's Thomas the Tank Engine ruler. And this ruler only went to six inches. So there was doubling up of rulers. Uh, there was great hilarity at my choice of ruler. It wasn't a choice. It was all that I could find in the very short time I had left. And uh, when it was cut, it was then announced, oh, that's a little bit more than the seven inches. It's nearly 10, nearly, nearly 10 inches, nine and a half, nearly 10 inches, quite a lot. So I'm sporting um, a fresh look. I got on the scales because I thought this is the way I could have lost half a stone with this. You know, all that hair, very heavy hair. Turns out hair's not that heavy. So no, the, the weight problem is still persisting. But never mind. So that's where we are today. Now I've got some great books to talk to you about. Quite a few. I've got, what, five books to talk to you about today? I thought I had more than that, but no, five books. That's right. Five books today because I've started one for next week. I'm waffling. It's just one of those days. And this is this is where we are. And I'm now clasping my hands together like a like a child at the window of a toy shop. But <laughs> that's where we are. So, Philippa, let's talk about the books. Yes, let's talk about the books. So we have Daughters of Night by Laura Shepherd Robinson. 
Another Time, Another Place by Jodie Taylor. Diving for Pearls by Jamie O'Connell. The Last Astronaut by David Wellington. And uh, Lonely Castle in the Mirror by Tujimura. So quite a selection. Now, the first book, as I mentioned last week, I'm very excited about this. Daughters of the Night is written by Laura Shepherd Robinson. Um, as you'll remember, I perhaps you'll remember I read her first book, Blood and Sugar, last week. And I was very keen to get on and read Daughters of the Night. Now, this book is interesting because while it follows one or two of the characters you read about in her first book, it, it couldn't be said to be a series. So please don't feel that you can't read Daughters of Night, first of all. You absolutely can. Um, I don't think it would stop your enjoyment at all. This book is a stonker. It's nearly 600 pages, about 570 pages. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, you have to work hard, I would say. There's lots of layers. There's lots of um, information, which you would expect with a book that size. But it is glorious in the detail. It really is exceptional. And as I've said before, I didn't think I was a fan of history books. But the way Laura writes, it's this combination between being so that she's so well informed and knowledgeable um, about what went on. But she deals with it in such a sort of a light touch way you know you're very aware that you're not reading a textbook you are reading an interesting vibrant story that yes is set in the 1780s but it's the story that's the key to it all so yeah I thought it was really good let me read you the blurb so so you know what's what London 1782. Desperate for her politician husband to return home from France, Caroline Caro Corsham is already in a state of anxiety when she finds a well-dressed woman mortally wounded in the bowers of the Vauxhall Pleasure Gardens. The Bow Street constables are swift to act until they discover that the deceased woman was a highly paid prostitute, at which point they cease to care entirely. But Caro has motives of her own for wanting to see justice done and so sets out to solve the crime herself, enlisting the help of thief-taker Peregrine Child. Their inquiry delves into the hidden corners of Georgian society, a world of artifice, deception and secret lives. But with many gentlemen refusing to speak about their dealings with the dead woman and Caro's own reputation under threat, finding the killer will be harder and more treacherous than she can know. Da, da, da. Oh, should we do the first sentence? I do like a bit of first sentence. Let's find that first sentence. Oh, there's a list of characters. We've got a map. Oh, now this. This is a stunning first sentence. Are you ready? It's a short one, but it packs a punch. In the wrong hands, a secret is a weapon. I like that very much in the wrong hands. I'm going to go to the next one. Oh, listen to this. This is the first sentence of the next chapter. I am then going to stop. So otherwise I'll just be reading the whole book to you. And then I think Laura might have something to say about that. Anyway, first sentence of the second chapter. Walk away and do it like you mean it. I see her style of writing is just so entrancing and draws you in. Sorry, that's an... What noise is that? That's the book cover. Let me put that down. 
Um, her style of writing is so good; it just it just draws you in. Um, there's n although there are complex stories and layers of intrigue going on. Um, it, yes, you've got to sort of to deal with that. Um, but it's you know we're able to fathom watching Line of Duty, so I think we can cope with Daughters <laughs> Daughters of Night. But there isn't this hard work, this sort of opening the first chapter and having to take a deep breath and thinking, gosh, this is really um, hard, chewy sentences that I have to work through. I just love how she brings a, a modern style of writing and applies it to these stories, um, which she does so well. And you can almost sort of smell the smells and, and hear the noises. Um, and you learn a lot about that time for good or bad. Um, but I think I've talked enough about it. Let us talk to Laura Shepherd robinson right now. So, Laura, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Well, had to talk to you about Daughters of, of Night. It's some book. I have to start with a really sort of boring, obvious question. How did you get the idea for it? Um, well, the my main character, Caro, in Daughters of Night, she was um, a character... Uh, quite a minor character in my first novel, Blood and Sugar. Mm. And I fell in love with Caro as a character. Um, and I I had originally given her probably twice as many scenes in Blood and Sugar as she actually ended up with because mm. I felt the plot um, didn't really justify it. And I was yeah. being very indulgent author trying to have one of my favourite characters have some more, um, more time on the page. Um, so instead, I decided to give her a book of her own. Um, so that was really the starting point was I wanted um, to tell Caro's story, mm. particularly as um, she and her husband have um, quite a, a sort of difficult marriage, shall we say. And in my first book, you'd very much seen things from his side. And I, again, I wanted to kind of reset that balance and give her side of the story because, you know, anyone who, who has friends or, or has been through a horrible relationship themselves, there's always more than one side to the story. Um, and, and neither side necessarily has the monopoly on the truth as well. And I kind of wanted to sort of explore that um, in the book. And so when I was kind of casting around for, you know, what should Caro's story be? I thought, well, it, it should be the story of women in um, 18th century society. And that then took me into the world of the 18th century sex trade, which was obviously um, a, a huge part of the economy then. Uh, so that's really, that was my kind of path into the story and everything else flowed from there. You don't mess around because your first book was about um, slavery and and then this book about the sex trade. You go for some hard hitting subjects, but you deliver them so brilliantly. It, it's, it, well, I sort of... Uh... I, you know, I'm very interested in in our history. I think there's lots of parts of our history that we've kind of buried for a very long time or and haven't properly explored or come to grips with. And um, I think it's important, firstly, very important that we do that. Um, but secondly, I've always thought that those sub subjects should be um, that it's perfectly okay to explore those subjects within the confines of a, of a crime novel. Um, 
and that in, and doing so in that way um you may reach an audience that that might not um read a great deal of non-fiction history say or or literary novels that might explore the same subjects and and does it because it, it, it obviously it's historical and you put so much it seems so much research and there's so many facts in there that you pick up just as reading the story does that slow the writing process down for you I don't know I mean I am I am quite a fairly slow writer um I don't write a book a year um and I and certainly the research does take time uh but it doesn't feel like it slows me down in terms of the writing it actually feels like I get a huge amount of ideas from it so I think creatively it actually um, speeds things up, drives me forward because um, uh, it often, as I say, it gives me ideas for subplots. It gives me ideas mm. for characters and their backgrounds and as well as the sort of, you know, the settings and the little details um, that bring the story to life. So I actually find it kind of inspiring. It doesn't feel like, like hard work to me um, most of the time. And it's a beautifully intricate story and it's quite an achievement for something that's nearly 600 pages. I was never thinking, oh, gosh, you know, this is this is a, a big chunky monster I've got I've got to read. I was just um, involved in the, in the story. But did you always know it was going to be a meaty um, piece? Not, I mean, I do. You know, I, I quite like long books myself. I must admit I'm um, I. I really like to invest in a story and I read sort of very closely. And if it's a story I love, I'm always disappointed when it ends. So personally, I don't mind a long book and luckily my editor doesn't either. And hopefully my readers don't either. Um, but uh, I didn't, I didn't sort of start out that way. I always think a book is, is as long as it, as it needs to be and no more is, is sort of my, my philosophy, mm -hmm. but it did get longer when I, um, cause when I was first working on on the book, obviously there is um, three strands of of to, mm. to the story of Daughters of Night. There's this, there's Caro's story. There's the point of view of the investigation from uh, the point of view of the thief taker, Peregrine Child, who she hires, and then there's a backstory which is told from the perspective of a very young woman on the sort of on the cusp of entering the sex trade. Um, and she's called Pamela and I had originally not got that backstory in the in the book that was very much um, it, the book wasn't quite working for me in the way that I wanted it to and that was the missing piece really was putting in Pamela's backstory and meeting um, the main victim of the crime and some of the other women who the events in the book impact on in that backstory to kind of bring them to life because they felt I, I really didn't want the victims in this story to be sort of faceless victims um, you know the, the, the usual sort of prost dead prostitutes that you find in a, in a lot of more old school um, crime novels I, I was absolutely adamant that I didn't want that I wanted them to be women with drive and ambition and, and, and fully fleshed out lives. And it was putting in that backstory that was the missing piece, but it did of course then make the book a bit longer. Well, and it certainly worked. I'm interested in the political side of things because um, I felt that it's, it is quite a sort of a political statement, both 
about the 1780s, but also perhaps present day as well, you know, about greed and deceit and power. Your background is politics. Does that does that just sort of course through you? Is that just something that you think about? Yeah, I mean, it is something I think about a lot still. And, um, and you know, I worked for a long time, like best part of 20 years um, in that in that area. And you don't do that unless you're very interested in those issues. And and although it is, you know, these issues that we're exploring, they are getting on for 300 years old. Um, a lot of the debates um, are still very, very current. So slavery in my first book, the attitudes to prostitution in my second book, these are these are conversations we're rightly still having. So um, uh, they felt at once of their time, but also also very current. And so that added to um, the sense of interest that I had for exploring those subjects and for bringing them to to new readers, really. Yes, I, well, it certainly worked for me. And um, like you, I, I love Cara. She's, for me, she's such a perfect character because she's human as well. She's not perfect, as in 100%, you know, no, nothing wrong to, to query in her character, but she she's just human. She's fallible. Was she... Was she always that way when you Yeah, I think so. She um I think although she does have her flaws, they are um many of those flaws are the result of being a woman in a very patriarchal society. Yeah. And um some of her sort of more, you know, Kara can come across as quite sort of cold and and, and imperious at, at times and um I think again, that's that's uh, that's her form of protection against. Um, you know, she's had to become very tough in order to survive in her marriage and her family. Um, so I'm glad that you know what I tried to show was somebody who who on the on the one hand can be very tough, but on the other hand is also she's a very warm mother. She's a very love. She's a very loving mother. She's um, she can be very warm. She loves her husband and has been deeply hurt by him. And so, yeah, I think humans, that's that's what I try to do, show someone, because we've all got our, our good sides and our bad sides and um, and, they, and they can coexist at the same time. Um, I don't really believe in, um, in a- writing about angels. Angels are boring. So um, I try to do that with all my characters. And I try, you know, most of the time I try to give the the bad characters some some redeeming features as well because again I think that's true of most of most terrible people probably have a side they show to their friends and family um and um yeah I just try to make everybody as fully fleshed out as possible yes it's they're they're more believable that way and um again it allows the story to flow and and as a reader to enjoy the story because you're not sort of tutting thinking oh why would they do that or you know why would they think that it just draws you in so when you'd started to get the pieces of the story did you see it sort of do you see it almost as a movie in your mind or do you have to work through the puzzle of of the story yourself um so I I said I the hardest part of a book for me is is getting the plot to to all work um 
and my editor is, is always slightly perplexed when I say this. She's like, but your plots are so complicated. And I'm like, they don't start out that way. And, and but I, I come up with ideas as I'm going along and I kind of s s sort of fit them in. And, um, and then it's a matter of trying to get everything, all the different strands of the plot to work properly together. So that's probably the thing I spend the most hours tearing my hair out over. Um, do I see it like a movie? Yeah, I, I think I do. I, I'm quite a sort of visual person within my own head, if that makes sense. Um, so I can picture every scene um, as, I'm, as I'm writing them and trying to bring them to life on the page. And if I can't, then there's something wrong and I, with the scene, if I can't picture what's happening in my head. And again, I think that's another benefit of the book that I felt I could visualise it. I could almost smell the smells and see the sights. And it wasn't in an overdone way. It, it, you just, I, I don't know, I just wish you could write a, a book on every episode in history because I'd suddenly find history a lot more interesting because uh, I I got it. Thank which was you. lovely. Um, in terms of plotting, you, you mentioned, obviously you've been compared to CJ Sansom as well. He's certainly a plotter, um, it, yeah. it's fair to say, many tens of thousands of words in, in, as, when he plots. Are, are you that extensive when you plot? Um, I write huge plans before I start writing, like thousands and thousands of words long. Um, uh -huh. I don't think, I mean, they change hugely though as I go along and as I get new ideas and then I kind of rework the plan. I don't think it necessarily, it certainly doesn't make me any quicker as a writer having planned in advance, but I think what it does is it means that the the fundamentals of the, of the book are always, I always have a lot of confidence in my books because I've worked all that stuff out before. Mm -hmm. So it means that the kind of underlying structure of them is is really sound. And I also always know where I'm going. I know how the book ends. And, um, and so, you know, the hard part is getting there rather than, um, uh, you know, I could never be one of these writers who who says, oh, I'll find out who the murderer is as I'm going along. <laughs> yes. Like that, that no. baffles me. I don't have an awe <laughs> of how people do that. <laughs> Uh, and this is your second book. Is it is it true that second books are as hard as as it said, or was it? Okay? I don't think I found it. You know, I didn't find it like this terrible second novel thing that people talk about. Um, but I didn't find it easier either. I I think, and I'm currently working on my third. And I I think my attitude is, every book is hard, and yeah. um, and but at the same time you find a way through it. So. I think it was it was exactly as hard again as I am, although I am getting slightly quicker each time, I think. So. Uh, well, interesting to hear about this third book, because I love the ending. I'm not going to say anything, uh, but I love the ending of, of Daughters of Night. Can I ask if the next book picks up any strands without? Um, it, it doesn't. Um, uh, so. Um, I by no means rule out returning to the story of Harry and Carrie in the future, but the, act, the the book I'm working on now is a standalone historical novel. It's um, more of a mystery than a crime I, a crime novel with a capital C. I'd say it's um, it's uh, I, I won't say too much about it, or my agent will tell me <laughs> off. But it's um, it's a sort of 
Dickensian, kind of feminist Dickensian um, adventure about um, uh, a girl called Red and a lost inheritance and fortune telling. And when do, when might this third when book will it be out? ready I, for I us to read? I think probably not, probably not next year, but maybe the beginning of the year after that is, I think. Um, I'm not totally sure. It depends slightly how quickly I get it finished. <laughs> well, it'll it'll be worth reading re re it. Uh, you've had so many delays with the publication of Daughters of Night. I mean, I, I remember yeah. hearing about it thinking, oh, great, this is this is <laughs> and then it was delayed and delayed. Do you, once it was actually published, did you almost have to read it again to remind yourself of it? I do, yeah, I mean, I certainly sort of flicked through because it had been a, yeah, as you say, it had been a long time um, since I'd actually finished it. It'd been over, well over a year. So, um, yeah, it was, I, I had to reacquaint myself with it, but um, but it was, the reaction was so lovely and and so many people got exactly what I was trying to do with the book. And that is, I just think there's no greater reward for an author than that. Well, that that's wonderful. Can, can I just ask about your getting your first book published and how mm -hmm. that process uh, went? Was it was it painful or was it easy? Um, no, actually, it, truthfully, it, it wasn't painful. The painful part was writing the book. <laughs> um, and actually, by and large, it was a it was a fairly painless process um finding an agent and and then and then getting published was it went out on submission and there were several publishers interested and so it it that wasn't the hard part for me um the hard the really hard part was writing a good book in the first place <laughs> and when you've uh, with both books once when you'd got the idea for the book did you know yes yeah, this this is the book because some people find it hard they've got lots of ideas and they sort of fly from one idea to another did you just know in your heart that that this was um, yeah I'm not really one of those people that has a million ideas floating around I, I I had a couple of ideas for my next book but I'm I am sort of I have kind of this very relentless focus and a, you know I, I think my husband was would say I'm a, I'm an obsessive so <laughs> I I just had that idea and and had to make it work and and as I say that was the part that took was took the work was to turn this idea that I had into something that would work as a novel and would do all the things that I wanted it to do. I'm interested in what what's the main point when you actually celebrate? Is it when you first get an agent or when you get your publisher or publication date or book two? You know, what if there was one, the sweetest spot, what would that be? What's the sweetest spot? Probably the sweetest spot was um was getting the offers from the publishers when um when the book went out on the submission, because that's the moment when you're like, oh my God, I am actually going to be published after, you know, thinking about that for, you know, a long several years and working towards that. That's That was the point at which it sort of all becomes real. But I also, the uh, the big point of celebration for me, I think is is when I reach the end of, of the draft because of, of each book, because 
I edit a, quite a lot as I go. So when I when I type those words, the end, <laughs> that that book is it works at that point. So so getting to that point is always a moment of of huge celebration. I'm sure I can't imagine because there are some authors that don't type the end. If it was me, I would absolutely have yeah, to. Yeah, no, I have to. <laughs> just as a if mark. only to take a photo, so it's there. Yeah. It's yes, it's it afterwards. <laughs> it's. Is there anything that surprises you about the publishing world that you hadn't known about? Um, it surprises me um, how tough it is once you get published. Mm. Um, and the number of um, the number of people who only publish one book is is really high, um, and the number of writers that go on to have sort of successful careers that they can earn a decent living off publishing you know sort of 10 books on is tiny and so that that's the business side of it is a constant surprise to me and how it works and and the the sort of the fascination with debuts it's one of the the few areas uh, you know one of the few careers where um people are more obsessed with you and your books the the least uh I'm not phrasing this very well but the the less experience you have Mm. the more the more people seem to be interested in you and 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 that's like that to me is slightly baffling but yes there seems a premium on the word debut which yeah it's 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 very strange I mean I I suppose there's always a fascination for something new and new and new equals exciting but I don't think that that's always true with books. I mean, I would say that because I'm not a debut anymore. But, yeah. <laughs> but I, I remember uh, when I first came across you, it was a crime fest in, in Bristol where they had the debuts. And, yeah. and there you were talking about your book yeah. and you thought, gosh, that, that sounds really good. And from then, your career as an author just seems to have skyrocketed. I mean, you, you, you're already a name now. Oh well, that's lovely of you to say so. Um, I mean, it's certainly it's been it's been lovely, and um, and and historical crime is not the easiest bit of the market in which to kind of get sort of any sort of recognition. So it's been it's been really nice. The reviews have been lovely, and the response from readers has been lovely. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's been fabulous, really. Um, and hopefully, I can carry on doing this for a while yet because I love it. Well, I certainly hope you do. I can't wait to hear more about book three and to read it. Laura Shepherd-Robinson, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Well, that was absolutely brilliant, wasn't it? It's so fascinating to talk to authors. And I know I say this every week, but it really is to find out um, how they've gone about it and the story that they, they've developed over time and how they got published, all sorts of things. So there we go. Daughters of Night by Laura Shepherd-Robinson. Really, really good. Um, The next book is one of a series, definitely. And this is called Another Time, Another Place by Jodie Taylor. We had Jodie on some months ago. My goodness, that was a popular episode. Um, And uh, this book is part of the very popular The Chronicles of St Mary's series, um, which is essentially, we're not allowed to say it's time travelling, we're supposed to say it's historical research, but it is. It's about this madcap place full of amazing characters who are 
either historians or into security or making the costumes for the historians to wear when they go back, um, engineers to get these pods working so that they can go back in time. And you learn so much again about different historical periods. Oh, is this a whole historical thing I've got going on this week? Actually, no, thinking about some of the other books. No, it's, it's, it's not. Um, they're glorious. They're funny, funny, funny books. And I think that with each one, she has improved. Certainly the first few, um, I think, are, are great, but then they get better and better for me. Um, and this is the latest one that's just out in paperback. And I thought it I thought it was great. Um, it, it has, as I say, it has humour in it. It has history. It has the thriller element, um, crime element. You know, who do you trust? What's going on? What's the truth? What's not? Um, and and I just love reading them. I devour them. So, uh, yes, Another Time, Another Place by Jodie Taylor. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So I'm just going to put those two books to that side. And actually, I'm going to change. I'm going to talk to you next about The Last Astronaut by David Wellington. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This was one that I read on my Kindle. And um, I read it because I hadn't heard anything about this book or this author, I'm ashamed to say. Um, but someone who I follow on Twitter, Joe Thomas, who works at HarperCollins, he was raving about this book and he was saying it's a really good sci-fi book. And you know me, 
occasionally I love a great sci-fi book. I love sci-fi films. Um, and if a book works well, then I enjoy it as a sci-fi book. Well, I read this and I think it's my favourite sci-fi book ever. Better than Artemis, better than The Martian, um, which is strange, I know. But yes, and some people describe this book as part horror. I didn't think it was. There were you could see this as a TV, as a film so easily. It would be brilliant. And there were parts of it that were horrible. Um, and maybe it is my tolerance that's just improving with this. But I just thought it was great from the the beginning to the end. Yes, there were times when it was a bit quiet and you had to work for it, but there was a payoff there. And uh, I, I thought I thought it was absolutely great. Um, so the blurb is this. A huge alien object has entered the solar system and is now poised over the Earth. It has made no attempt to communicate. Out of time and options, NASA turns to its last living astronaut, Commander Sally Jansen, who must lead a team of raw recruits on a mission to make first contact. But as the object reveals its secrets, Jansen and her crew find themselves in a desperate struggle for survival against the cold vacuum of space and something far, far worse. Uh, it, it, it's, it's great. Um that there are some tricky scenes, but it made me read it quite quite fast. I thought it was really good. Um, let's do the first sentence. Uh, in a way, this is hard because I don't think it's not one of those first sentences where you're, you're just reading from it and saying, wow, that was incredible. But this is the first sentence. The crew of the Orion wish you back on Earth a happy and safe 4th of July. We may not be able to set off any fireworks out here for safety reasons, but we want everybody to know we haven't forgotten what this day means to America. So as I say, it, that's not really giving much away. Um, and maybe the first couple of chapters, you're sort of a bit lost thinking, well, I, I know what's going on, but I don't understand why. Um, just give it a bit of time. But as I say, I really enjoyed it. I'm so glad I read it. Um, it's definitely going to be if someone says, I like sci-fi, what do you recommend? This is going to be one of those that I pull out. I thought it was really good. Um, so that's it. Simple enough. The Last Astronaut by David Wellington. Marvellous. So now we come on to um, a, an interesting book called Diving for Pearls. Sorry, I'm just going to grab the book. I do apologise for all these noises. Um, well, I hope you may hear them, you may not, but I'm I'm making a lot of noise, lots of papers being moved about here. So here we go. Diving for Pearls by Jamie O'Connell. And here's the blurb. A young woman's body floats in the Dubai marina. Her death alters the fates of six people, each one striving for a better life in an unforgiving city. A young Irishman visits his sister and hopes to erase his troubled past. A Russian sex worker tries to outsmart the system. A Pakistani taxi driver dreams of a future for his daughters. An emirate man hides his truth. An Ethiopian maid begins to carve out a new path from every corner of the globe. Dubai has made promises to them all. Promises of gilded opportunities and bright new horizons. But Dubai will break its promises. And in a city of mirages... How do you find your way out? It's a, it sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds so different. And what I like is that you've got this these different points of view. So each chapter is told from the point of view of a different character. Um, and then you get to see how their stories relate to each other and what they've got in common uh, and, and what they haven't got in common. Um, 
it's yeah of course you've got this sort of the exploitation of people and the corruption um and there's quite a few characters um in there but i just found it really raw resonating uh piece of writing i thought the the cover is gorgeous um let me read you the first uh sentence here we go uh, well this is wrong because the prologue the first sentence is one word white um which i think is i think that's a bit unfair let me go to the first chapter now i'm going to read you the first paragraph of the prologue because i think that's fairer white two purring engines Six round windows on each side, it flies, a sleek machine slicing through currents and gusts. A movie star inches down his ray-bands and looks out at the cloudless sky. Beautiful, he says. Uh, yeah, I think it's a very different sort of writing, very interesting. Um, I like the way that the story unravels and you've got these different characters. Listen, if your idea of a good story is sort of a more chick lit female fiction, then this is not for you. Um, but if you want something that challenges you, makes you look at the world differently, educates all, all of those, then I think it's it's a very interesting one indeed. Now we come on to the final book this week. Um, and this is a different one. This is called Lonely Castle in the Mirror. And it's by Mizuki Tojimura. Um, let me let me read you the blurb for this one. Would you share your deepest secrets to save a friend? In a tranquil neighbourhood of Tokyo, seven teenagers awake to find their bedroom mirrors are shining. At a single touch, they are pulled from their lonely lives to a wondrous castle filled with winding stairways, watchful portraits and twinkling chandeliers. In this new sanctuary, they are confronted with a set of clues leading to a hidden room where one of them will be granted a wish. But there's a catch. If they don't leave the castle by five o'clock, they will be punished. As time passes, they begin to realise only those brave enough to share their stories will be saved. Um, and here's the first sentence, quite a short one. I sometimes find myself dreaming. There we go. I think we all do, um, but not in the way that, that this book has. It's um, It's a very interesting book. It's sort of... In some ways, it's sort of a simple, heartfelt story. And then you've actually got this other element, this sort of um, well, magical element to it, I, I suppose. Um, and I think that a lot of people would be very moved and possibly upset by how it all transpires and how, and how it ends. Um, I think it's, you know, it does deal with sort of bullying and and how people and children communicate uh, with others and where when school doesn't work and how it falls down and um, I suppose it, all of those elements add up as anxiety and this character Kokoro um, it, it discovers her mirror as this portal to to this magic castle um, it's translated um, from Japanese by Philip Gabriel it's beautifully done um, it, it reads gorgeously. Is that even a word I can use? Well, it does, though. Well, that's what I'm going to say, and I'm going to be proud that I said it. Um, I think the ending is quite interesting, um, and I'm glad I sticked with it. I think if um, if there's just some translation and something a little bit uh, different, 
destabilizes you then maybe it's not for you um, but again uh, like diving for pearls if you're looking for something a bit different something to give you a different perspective um, and uh, just sort of make you think about things and particularly if you're looking for some good translated fiction then it might be worth having having a look at this one so that's Lonely Castle in the Mirror by Mizuki Tojimura and there we go, my lovely friends, my lovely people. Uh, another episode is drawing to a close. Um, there may have been noises here. It's a bank holiday. I'm losing my mind, but I'm just going to keep on going, talking to you and ignoring the shouting, stomping and slamming of doors that is going on in this house. I can only apologise. If I just lived in a quiet house with a quiet recording studio, life would be quieter that's for sure anyway i've had a great time talking to you sorry for me being a little bit all over the place today that's that's as i say it's the joy of a bank holiday um but ignoring me and my mithering at the heart of this are some really interesting books and just to recap on that so we've had daughters of night by laura shepherd robinson love that book another time another place by jodie taylor what a great book what a great series uh, the Last Astronaut by David Wellington. Love that. Really good sci-fi book. So different. Oh, we've had Diving for Pearls by Jamie O'Connell. And we've had Lonely Castle in the Mirror by Mizuki Toshimura. So five very different books. Hopefully something there that appeals to you. Um, and guess what? I've got more books. I've got great books to talk to you about next week. And a really interesting author interview. So look after yourselves. Take care. And I'll speak to you again very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. 